I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. But that's also maybe where the students started to really get to know, oh, what does panic feel like? What does anxiety feel like before it's banging down the door? <laughs> like before it's it's stopping me in my tracks, what does it kind of feel like? And perhaps that's where I find myself in that future moment and I and I start to notice that and I feel that and I go, oh, I know what's happening. I'm going to go use those strategies. I'm going to go regulate myself in some way. Hey there, and welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and my guest today is Zach Morris, a semi-frequent guest of this show. And I always love my conversations with Zach, so I was happy to bring him back to talk about somatic therapy and how this modality can be especially powerful in supporting differently wired kids who are struggling with anxiety and depression, or recovering from both big and little t trauma. In our conversation, we get into the polyvagal theory, what somatic therapy is, what it looks like in practice, the underlying power of somatic healing, and how it can help kids develop resilience, even in the face of stressful situations. And as always, when I have Zach on the show, we talk about what can seem like heady or theoretical concepts, but in a practical, accessible way, way that I hope will help listeners feel not only more informed, but inspired to incorporate some of what they learned through this conversation into their lives with their kids. And a little bit more about Zach before we jump in. Zach Morris supports individuals, families, and organizations who aim to develop a greater sense of safety and empowerment in themselves, in their relationships, and in their communities. He's inspired by the science of how people learn and change, and he aims to translate this to help individuals and communities improve awareness, communication, and structural support. Zach has more than 10 years experience in the classroom, ranging from inner city public school to rural therapeutic boarding school, and from non-traditional private school to individual co-op homeschool. 
Today, he serves as a learning consultant and communication coach. If you're not on the Tilt Parenting newsletter, now's a great time to sign up. Every Thursday, I send out a short email that has a little personal note from me, a look at upcoming events that should be on your radar and highlights of news items and other things that I think you might be interested in. So you can sign up for that at tiltparenting.com. All right, that concludes the PSA for this episode. Thank you so much. And here is my conversation with Zach. Hey, Zach, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Debbie. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited because we always have such interesting conversations. And I'm just going to say up front, listeners, if you haven't heard Zach yet talking um, with me or just talking in general, be sure to check out the show notes page because I'll have links to our previous conversations as well as to Zach's podcast because they're always insightful, deep, all over the place, but in a very interesting way conversation. So go listen to those. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. You're you're inspiring me to also have to get my podcast going again. <laughs> I took a little yeah. break from it. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would love to know, kind of generally speaking, catch us up. Like, what are you up to now? What's the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, you know, so I've really in the last couple of years moved into serving as a learning consultant and family support specialist, you know, working with individual families, working with other school programs and and other teams, you know, on on a lot of a lot of structural development for what's just supporting more connection, collaboration, understanding for for whatever we're sort of navigating here. And so really similar to, to the world I've been in when I was running the school and, and doing all that, and now just kind of taking it more to uh, to individual families and individual organizations that are, are trying to redesign or or just sort of evolve, you know, what they have going on to, to help create more wonderfulness for everybody. Oh, that's great. And I would love to know how you're supporting families or, or maybe even more deeply what you are noticing among neurodivergent kids really in response to the disruption of the past couple of years. Like what has been really showing up for you and your work and the families that are coming to you and the kids that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because I think it's there's such a split experience in a lot of respects, right? I have for for families that that have kiddos and students who maybe were needing more spaciousness and needing more flexibility, time, you know, all of these things that that actually the last couple of years has, has provided a lot of opportunity for that nervous system to experience a little bit more sort of consistency of safety and security and all of those things. So so for as many people that kind of just getting connected with that that maybe have been navigating some some challenges or, or things like that. Like maybe the last couple of years is actually things have settled and now we're maybe actually able to kind of do some more work that is maybe accessible that in the height of it, you know, maybe maybe wasn't quite so much. And and then on the other end of the spectrum for for all those those kiddos that we're thriving in the social, you know, and really need that stimulation on on potentially higher levels and things like that. That that maybe that's maybe there's some some increased loneliness or missing connection and some things like that that are have changed things. But across the board, I guess, and and this is maybe kind of leading into what we'll end up talking about today is just the the common thread that I see the most is is this experience of getting kicked out of a sense of safety in the body and that that 
puts me into a place of overwhelm, anxiety, worry, the narratives start flooding, right? And, and all of a sudden, now I'm, I have needs and I, and I, and I'm, or I maybe can't access something or, and, and so, so I think that's, that's what I see people needing the most support in is how to support our kids having more spending more regular time in that sense of safety in their system but also developing more efficient and effective strategies for getting back to that place of safety once I'm kicked out of it and even recognizing that that's what's going on for me perhaps this feels very much tied into and we were talking about this before the polyvagal theory we haven't done an episode just on polyvagal theory but it's certainly come up in conversation mona della hook who wrote this amazing book brain body parenting really is talking about kids nervous systems and what's going on so could you talk more even about the polyvagal theory and i'm curious to know Again, maybe tied to what we've experienced as a collective over the past few years. Are you seeing things show up differently for kids or also is it a result of maybe just particular experiences that they've had in schools or or otherwise over the course of their life? Yeah, I think for a lot of the families I'm working with, I would I would say that the last year hasn't necessarily exacerbated some of that unless all of a sudden I'm like wow, I'm so missing that community I was a part of or like all those people. And, and now that's what's really impacting me. Th- that seems to be the, the main demographic that I see like having especially been impacted maybe in that, in that last year in, in a way. But a lot of the other, the other aspects of it is just sort of, I guess what we would, we would describe as more of some of those like complex traumas, right? Those like those little T traumas that just sort of develop over time that we all have in some way, right? Where just from like patterned sort of habituation of experience with something, now I'm sort of carrying a little bit of a visceral experience from that experience into future moments, right? And so, so when we talk, so polyvagal theory, right, talks so much about essentially how, how trauma impacts the nervous system, right? What that, what that does, you know, for our experience. And, and when I'm sort of having a trauma experience, we can sort of talk about it as how it's, it's the past arising in the present, and that's what that visceral experience is on a physiological level. So, so polyvagal theory really sort of brings us into examining this part of our nervous system that is our social engagement system, right? That's u- unique to, to the mammalian system that, that's sort of stacked on top of other parts of our autonomic system. And, and that's the place that keeps us, like when we're in our social engagement system, that's where we are in relationship and we can be flexible and we can access our core values, right? All of these things that, that are sort of going to impact us being our best self in a lot of respects, right? And, and it's when I get kicked out of that social engagement system, when I lose that sense of safety, because I, I, I'm in my social engagement system when I'm anchored in safety. And so when I lose that sense of safety for some reason, it, it takes me out of that. And, and this is where we experience the fight flight, fawn, freeze, right? All of those responses. And, and there's some definite things that happen to our physiology when we're in those different brain body states, essentially, right? So we know, and, and there's so much we could talk about here. So I'm going to be try to be really brief, you know, but we can kind of speak about some other questions and things. But, you know, we know things that like when, when I get kicked into that sympathetic part of my system, that, that more 
fight or flighty sort of energy that that really impacts how my ocular system functions and takes in visual stimulus. It really impacts actually how the sort of muscles in my inner ear start contracting and constrict to be able to take in information, right? And so, so it really, that directly even just changes our ability to have certain experiences. So, so for example, when I get kicked into that sympathetic system, my ears start priming myself to be more attuned to low frequencies of sound because those are sound those are predator sounds those are sounds of danger and threat and so i've already got kicked into that part of my system to be like be aware of threat <laughs> there are threats out here and so so my ears actually get more attuned to being able to hear those sounds than hear things like the human voice so that person that's like asking me to pay attention or do something it's like i actually have a harder time hearing it so I have a harder time making sense of it, processing it, integrating it, right? So a lot of what polyvagal theory takes us into is sort of understanding how, how the physiology gets so impacted by these brain-body states. And therefore, a lot of the manifestations we see, they're not chosen by people, right? They're not, they're not like someone not trying hard enough or someone being trying to make your life difficult. It's just like, this is what happens to the system. Like I, I actually may be unable to process some of this information in a certain way right now. I've never heard it quite explained that way. And that I just feel like I have even a different level of understanding of, of what's really going on. It's fascinating to me and makes so much sense. And I, I want to go back to this idea of little T traumas. You know, we've talked about big T traumas. We've talked about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. We did an episode last season about breaking generational cycles. So we have explored this, but I think it's interesting to think about these traumas that we may not recognize as traumas. And so could you give some examples or better explain what a little t trauma is and how those might be accumulating for our kids and we may not be aware of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I will sort of make note, I'm not, you know, I know that's, that's how people have kind of talked about it in the past, you know, and I'm not sure if that's sort of still really a part of the lexicon, this sort of like little t trauma. It's just my way of trying to connect with some, some people's background knowledge and understanding and some things like that. But yeah, I think of it as I might, I mean, let's just, let's take an example that, that maybe resonates with, with listeners of I'm, getting driven to school. And, and just along the way, I'm already starting to think about what the expectations are going to be over there. And I'm sort of getting a little worked up. And I'm thinking about that I'd rather kind of be doing something else in this moment, or I don't have this, right? And all of a sudden, like, just all of these narratives and thoughts that are coming from maybe whatever experience happened previously. And and I'm riding in the car and we get there and I'm like getting a little resistant to get in. As that pattern continues to happen, that over time, maybe all that needs to happen is me to sort of get asked like to get ready to get to go to school. And I already start feeling all of those experiences that have been sort of building in that, that other moment of like when I'm in the car and I'm, I'm actually kind of feeling a little sick to my stomach, maybe, or I'm like, I'm getting sweaty. And, and all of a sudden someone asks me, Hey, can you get ready for school? And I just, I start feeling that a little, but I might not be aware of it. Right. So this is where sort of like somatic experiencing and understanding of polyvagal really comes into play 
is how do we help our children really get to know the experience, not the narrative, not the perception, but the just actual experience in this moment. What Deb Dana talks about, right? She's really involved with polyvagal theory and and Steve Porges resonates with this, right? This idea that as I get to know the experience, I start to understand what facilitates it, where it's come from. And I also start to understand where I'm going with it and what's going to bring me back to a sense of safety. I was just talking about this today. And I, and I think this analogy kind of like helps me wrap my head around it a little of that idea of like the value of knowing our experience and really just like noticing it and knowing what's there is like, take that idea of, uh, of when you've maybe felt hangry. Never happened to me, but going. Yeah. <laughs> before you realize what's going on, you're maybe just like irritable and short with people and don't have a t- right? And you're manifesting in all the ways that you are. And, and it feels kind of unmanageable, right? In the minute you go, my stomach is so empty. I need to eat food. Like there's nothing. Oh, I have a headache. Like this is what's going on. All of a sudden we can settle actually for a little bit of a moment because I'm like, I have some understanding of what's led here. And I also like safety is on the horizon. I just need to get some food like that. Ah, that's available. That's possible. When I don't know what's happening and I'm just experiencing the, the narratives and the flood and the, and the, all this, I, it can be hard for me to, to number one, make sense of it and, or take action. That's going to help me meet my needs. So fascinating. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. 
Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. You mentioned somatic experiencing, and that's something when I first reached out to you, I said I wanted to learn more about and, and share more about to the listeners. So could you explain what that is? It's, you know, it's something I hear about, and I don't know that I have a deep understanding of what it actually means. Yeah, it's it's a modality that's used in in throughout a bunch of different sort of therapeutic supports and models. And, and you know, and I, I will kind of describe to people like it can definitely be like a therapy or led through in that sense by someone. And, and I also think it, it offers a lot of philosophy and understanding for us to, to all utilize as we try to like support our, our own nervous system and, and the nervous system of other people. But somatic experiencing pioneered by, by Peter Levine, Dr. Peter Levine, Waking the Tiger, a book of his I, I can't recommend enough. Somatic experiencing essentially tries to facilitate this completion of a self-protective response, like a self-protective motor response, and or releasing of like a, a stuck survival energy, right? So, so let me take us really quickly into how Peter Levine was sort of like taught, maybe talks about some of the somatic experiencing because it goes all the way to like, just like mammalian biology, right? Of he often will take you through the example of like picture the lion chasing after the gazelle and the gazelle gets tackled and is like about to get eaten. Right. The gazelle shuts down maybe. Right. It's the, the, it just sort of goes off the nervous system goes offline. It goes into that total like immobilization survival response, right. Where you might know it as that like playing possum idea. Right. And the whole, the whole idea with this is that it's not, chosen the the that animal did not go you know what i'm going to do right now i'm going to shut down it just like sort of happens to our system right and so so that it doesn't have to experience the pain that it's about to experience right now say something else happens in like some other animal comes out and chases off the lion and so now so now the the gazelle is alive there but in this shutdown state what we see, and Peter Levine shows video footage of this, is what we see happens is the gazelle start will almost start to like convulse and shake. And it will go through this like shaking experience on the ground, maybe, until it then just gets up and runs away. And he talks about that shaking, that dis that's the discharge. That's the, the discharge of the stress response. And he sort of talks about how in our modern life. We don't, our stressors are not quite like that. Our stressors are not this like, whoo, a surge of stress. And then like, we were right back to safety and we were able to discharge that. Like, instead we have like the worry of that, 
oh yeah, a work project that's due for the next like six months or the the child that's like the teenager that's worried they're never going to be able to buy a house when they're older, like whatever those those hums of stress are. So it doesn't have that very finite start and end point, right? And and so he talks about how because of this also, we, we're just not discharging a lot of this, this stress. It's really just getting kind of, kind of trapped in the body, you know? And so, so he, he talks about how that, that discharge is, is necessary for then, you know, the, the term in the sort of like biology world is pronking to then sort of like run back off into life and, and, and get back into there from a regulated place. Right. And, and so the whole idea is that we will get back to a place of regulation, always because that's just a honestly just a matter of time right that's just how the system works we could get really worked up we could go sit on the scroll on the computer for 20 minutes and eventually we're going to get back to feeling kind of regulated now the difference there is i d- didn't really i didn't really move through it i didn't really discharge any of it i just sort of like distracted or disassociated and so so it helped it was like a strategy in that moment I got some needs met. I got back to a place of regulation, but I didn't build any resiliency for a future opportunity where that happens again. So that's, so that's what sometimes we're seeing as parents where it's like, wow, every time this thing comes up, we're just right back into that big expression, that, that dysregulation. And it just sort of is like this revolving door. Like we're just always back there. And because, because we as humans will find strategies that work for us, but that have maybe ease, don't take lots of exertion, right? Whatever. And, and those can just become sort of like the self-soothing techniques, right? That get us through it different than maybe the like self-regulating sort of techniques that actually help us move through it, discharge it and develop more resiliency around it. So if it's not discharged, does it accumulate? Can it build and become more and more of, a, of an unresolved issue? I think we become more patterned in it, essentially, right? Like that, that it, we become maybe perhaps a little more sensitive to it. That's where the sensitivity can develop over time, right? Like perhaps the longer that thing goes and the more I'm triggered by it, potentially the more either maybe the more hyper or hyposensitive to it, right? This could happen that I could get really hypersensitive to that thing, or I could start to actually slip into that more like shutdowny energy around it all and just get more apathetic or just get more isolated from it. So so that experience could be could be big, but it might not feel super big for me, right? It doesn't always have to go to that hyper state. I could kind of start to shut down around it. And that that also sort of depends, I think, a lot on just like personalities and and attachments and, and sort of all of that is like, what is your go-to, you know, when you get dysregulated? Like me, I'm I'm a total fawner. Like that's that's like when I get dysregulated, I go to that place of fawn, right? Some people, they're maybe more likely to go to fight. Some people are more likely to go to, free, you know, freeze. Like, and so it, it kind of depends, I think, on the person too, of where that starts to go. And maybe over time, and I'm kind of just sort of theorizing myself here that that's, that maybe is what, what moves us more into maybe continuing to have hyper experience with that or, or actually starting to move the opposite and kind of have like, like, oh, it doesn't even really matter to me. I'm just numb. I'm numb to it at this point, kind of, you know? What does discharging then look like? You know, is it shaking? I'd love to know. And maybe if you have an example of what it looks like when you work with a kid to go through this, I'm so curious. Yeah. You know, it could be as simple as tears, tears coming out, right? We're all familiar with that of like, you're sitting with someone, you know, and maybe, I don't know, you even just like 
maybe you asked the right question or you said the right thing. And, and all of a sudden someone's just welling up in tears. Like that's a bit of a discharge, right? When I'm, I'm, I'm getting that out. We've all even maybe had experience with a really young toddler who's like totally worked up. They're kind of like almost hyperventilating and I've like scooped them up and I'm rubbing their back or something. And they finally have that moment of like, <sighs> that like deep sigh, right? Like that can be a discharge. So this is also something I talk a lot about with parents of teenagers where uh, we, we get lots of sighs. <laughs> we get lots of like, Ugh, you know, maybe things like that. And I really try to empower people to like, what if I see some of that through this lens of discharge, depending, right? Like on what's going on, because sometimes we try to like get people to not do that out of like politeness or out of whatever, right? But what if, what if that's serving something for me? So, you know, maybe I've, maybe I've asked someone to do something for me and, and, and not out of fear and obligation, right? But just out of a sort of asking, they don't really want to, but they're willing. And so they sort of begrudgingly are like, fine, you know, and it's like, mm, how worked up we could get about what's respectful and what's, you know, and all those things. But, but what if that's actually just like a discharge of some, well, a little bit of stress right now that I'm getting out to go do the thing. I, I said I was going to go do it, you know? Like, And so so I, I'm trying to look for also those other things that I might not at first see that way, but go, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's some discharge going on there, right? And And, you know, this is maybe simultaneously discharge, but also could be this, you know, the other side of it too was this like, completing the the self-protective response right so so let's talk maybe like a bigger trauma for example for a moment of maybe someone maybe maybe a student at at school once or, or with a group of people all of a sudden kind of was was like the victim of some maybe really intense bullying where maybe they were being even like constrained with their physical movement in some way or something like that. And they, and they couldn't get away. That was, that's response was maybe what was happening in that moment. I had an urge to, to flee, to get away, but I couldn't. <sighs> that's going to be intense on my system of how some of that stress response is going to get lodged in here because I didn't get, I didn't get to do the thing to complete the motion. And so sometimes this is that moment of maybe someone gets triggered right? Like by something that triggers that ex experience of that. And all of a sudden I have this, like, I'm having these visceral feelings as if I'm like back in that, that situation where people are bullying me, like this, the past coming into the present. Somatic experiencing is also the thing that might try to get someone to like, oh yeah, get away. You can run, run, run away from this space right now. And literally like in that moment of feeling it, trying to get them to go do that thing they couldn't do in that moment to try to like, get it, finish it, finish that, that completion of that, that motor response that didn't get to happen, but is impacting me on really deep visceral levels right now. And so, so again, that could kind of be both in that sense where like, it could just be explosive movements in some way, right? Discharge could come in a, in a lot of physical ways, but it might also, depending on what some of my traumas are, it could be that I'm, there's maybe just some other movements that were trying to happen in some point, but but couldn't. Peter Levine tells this whole story of like when he got in um he got in like this car accident 
and everybody wanted to everybody wanted to like keep him not moving right and get him on the stretcher and do all these things but he was needing he was saying like he needed to move like he that was him discharge like and so he even kind of goes into saying like all the ways we actually try to and obviously there's all kinds of medical considerations and things to think about right but he sort of talks about how in a lot of these environments where we're trying to support people sometimes we're stifling that motor response that needs to happen to get the energy out to discharge it. Wow, this is so fascinating. As you were talking, even that story you said about tears, just earlier this week, I was on a call with a bunch of colleagues and someone said something that just, and I'm not a, I'm like, I don't well up often, said something that really just resonated with me and just like I got hit, right? With this sentiment and I instantly had tears welling up and, and I didn't know any of that was there. So that was now hearing you explain it, that was obviously a release of something that I've been kind of that's in my system that I haven't, I hadn't made that connection. And so, you know, you talked about the size or the grunts or these things. So more than us being aware, if our kids are doing that, is it helping them also connect the dots of what they're doing to kind of the why, the underlying why behind it and how that could be helpful? Like, do we want them to see, to connect the dots? Yeah, you know, I, I think ultimately, I, I think the the rub is like, how do we lead people into that where that's not threatening, right? Where it's like, it, it doesn't become like kind of too formalized or too whatever, you know? And so, so I find that this really all starts with a, a, with a noticing practice, right? That like, essentially, what we're ultimately trying to do is notice what happens for me in this maybe situation where I get pinged into activation. And I'm trying to notice like, you know, what is happening in my chest here? Like, what is going on in my stomach? Like, what do I notice, you know, in my temperature, right? Like, so that I can tune into that and, 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 and get back to a regulated place via my my body and my 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 sensory system right now you can imagine trying to lead people into that that have maybe a small window of tolerance or are experiencing lots of this or just kind of are in chronic stress places that like that could be just as threatening to try to you know lead someone into noticing what's going on for themselves and so so we can kind of take it to to really beginning places of like, well, what is safe to start noticing? Like, what can we start anchoring in, right? And so, so I'm often trying to lead students into maybe just noticing tangible, concrete anchors that are in the environment via via the sensory noticing, right? So, so some just to just to up my practice of even being able to do that, even being able to notice like I'm in a body and I'm having experiences in the body, right? Like you could go on a bike ride with your child and on that bike ride every we could be like talking about some philosophy concept or not talking at all and everybody's just like thinking about their day yesterday and and therefore like it's not it's not that that's bad, right? it's also not super present for my sensory experience. Like when I'm in the mind and I'm in the thoughts, like I am not experiencing present sensory things really. I may be, or I'm, I'm experiencing them. I may be not, I'm not aware of them, right? And so the whole idea is bringing the awareness to it. So I, I could also be on that bike ride and I could be noticing what the wind feels like on my skin. I could be noticing what my feet feel like as I'm taking each pedal. I could be noticing the birds that were up on that tree 
that's that practice of being in my sensory system and going, wow, I'm a body that sees stuff. I'm a body that feels temperature, you know, because that's what's really real and tangible right now. And when we're in that space, when it's safe, when I can notice that and and not have that trigger some other sort of activation for me, like that's where I experience a sense of safety also too, right? I'm not going to think myself back into the sense of safety. I'm going to, I'm going to more like notice myself back into a sense of safety. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I mean, what you were talking about before was really a PTSD response, right? When we're, you know, in a situation where we get triggered and have that same experience. That's a word or a, a condition that I think gets thrown around a lot, especially when talking about neurodivergent kids. I hear from parents all the time, my kid is PTSD from school, um, from school experiences. I think we've even talked about this, maybe in our very first conversation, the kids who would show up to your school, many of them were experiencing that. So I'd love to even just talk about the relationship between neurodivergence and trauma. And our neurodivergent 
people who tend to have very kind of profound sensory experiences more open to somatic experiencing as a modality? I don't know if my question makes sense, but I'm kind of interested in the intersection of all these things. Yeah, I'll first kind of speak towards, you know, what I see in this sort of like PTSD neurodivergent trauma relationship a little bit and as just being an educator and and not diagnosing psychologists at all, you know, but I sort of the thread that I see is that what shows up in in both of those situations even though there's multitudes in that situation, right? The PTSD experience or whatever other neurodivergent sort of experience I'm having is that I'm I'm easily kicked out of my sense of safety. So like that's the common thread and and, and because that is what's happening, we can look at the 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 physiology and the biology like through a very similar lens. We can sort of say, well polyvagal theory and somatic experience is going to apply to both of these because because whether you got kicked out of your sense of safety because of X or whether you got kicked out of your sense of safety because of Y, like that doesn't really totally matter, actually. It just matters that you're not in your sense of safety. So what does that mean is happening to your body? And what is the road to getting back to that place? If that makes sense. It does. And Mona Delhook in her book, Brain Body Parenting, talks about having, I think she calls it one's platform. They're kind of how sturdy is their platform and, and that uh, neurodivergent kids kind of inherently have a platform that may not be as sturdy. So they're more primed to be kicked out of that sense of safety. Exactly. And so now speaking towards like whether, you know, what I see on sort of the neurodivergent population of like maybe connecting with like some of these somatic experiencing practices or things like that a little more or not, is that I think in the beginning it can be more challenging maybe to bring someone into that, right? Because, because I am, I'm dealing with this experience a lot, right? So it's like, so if I'm not, if I'm not experiencing a sense of safety a lot, it's, it's hard to do these things because we also introduce this from a place of safety. So the whole idea is like, if you were going to try to help sort of the noticing in some of these things, we typically don't really bring it in right when you're really activated and you're dysregulated. Like we try to bring it in from the other reg, more regulated places and maybe we'll then start to get to bring it in in these other moments, right? But what I find is once we get the access, often then we can, people are, seem to be interested to take it really far because there's, because we, it's, we can experience the value. We can, we can get relief maybe for the first time, right? So to tell a brief story, I've been, I have a student I've worked with for probably the last seven years and for a long time had been trying to lead this student kind of into some of this stuff, right? Into some of these noticing, but there was a lot of resistance, right? Because, because that seemed threatening, right? Also, you can imagine to go to my quiet times of also noticing and being in my spaciousness. Well, that's when the threats really start creeping in. That's where my mind starts going, you know? And so, and, and also I might have feel like I've, tried so many things or or met with so many different people that like I don't want to just try the next thing right like I don't feel very hopeful that that's maybe going to do anything for me right so so sort of been in this relationship for a long time you know not really getting a whole lot of movement on it and and finally do right finally for whatever reason I think this is also happens a lot is like sometimes it's just a matter of time and maturation that someone needs to get to to sort of be open to finally being guided in some way, right? Because I, you know what? I haven't figured it out myself. I continue to have the same experience. This person in front of me continues 
to be safe. So why not say yes at this point, right? And so so finally, we, we say yes, right? And we just start doing some of that. We just start doing some really basic noticing from a regulated place. This is where I'm like leading this student through doing some like body scans, right? Just kind of like mentally trying to tune in to sensations they're experiencing maybe while I'm just like leading them through some brief things, maybe for like two minutes, literally like 120 seconds, right? So that it doesn't get too much, right? And then all of a sudden we start to lose it and lose ourselves. And we do that for a little bit. And next thing you know, like we're doing it longer, right? And, and I'm checking in with this student and I hear like, wow, yeah, every time we finish those two minutes, this this person's feeling relaxed. Like they kind of enjoyed that time, right? Like, and, and so we kind of start doing a little longer. And, and then I start introducing some more, more techniques that someone could sort of engage themselves. We start doing a couple different breathing things. We start doing some different self-massage. We start doing some different things like that. And uh, and I hop on a call with this student, you know, weeks later, and he tells me, and, you know, a student totally on the web of neurodiversity, right? And uh, this student tells me, I basically stopped a panic attack this week using some of the strategies we've been doing. And it was like, wow, this is like, that's, this is where I was hoping we'd get to and where I was so confident, right? But for, and we couldn't touch it for a long time, but once it was safe and once we got in and once we utilized it, all of a sudden he pulled it out and was like, I started to notice, right? Because, because that was the whole thing is inside of this. This is where like, eventually you may even be able to take someone, right? Doing this enough, you might be able to, I might've been able to with that student go, and what do you notice in your body when you think about think about having some math homework to do? Or what happens in your body when you think about gym class or whatever that is, right? And all of a sudden, like, yeah, maybe some of those sensations start coming back and I start to tune into those. Well, now I'm starting to get to know them in a much safer place also. Because like, I could lead, help co-regulate in some other ways, right? So, so obviously, we don't want to rush too far too fast into something like this, right? But that's also maybe where the students started to really get to know oh, what does panic feel like? What does anxiety feel like? Before it's banging down the door, <laughs> like before it's it's stopping me in my tracks, what does it kind of feel like? And perhaps that's where I find myself in that future moment and I, and I start to notice that and I feel that and I go, oh, I know what's happening. I'm going to go use those strategies. I'm going to go regulate myself in some way. So a lot of things came up for me as you were sharing that. First of all, seven years. And I'm also reminded that one of our podcast conversations was about how do we help a child change their worldview? And the whole theme was that this is the long game. So I love that example. And now, as you were just describing, I mean, what an incredible breakthrough. And I can imagine how that felt for you to know that this kid tapped into that skill and was able to stop a panic attack. I think about the the zones of regulation and the charts that kids in first grade are given. Like when you're feeling this way, it means you're going into the the orange zone or the red zone or whatever. And you, you know, every time you stop yourself from doing that, you'll get a chart or or a, a sticker or whatever it is. And I think about just hearing you describe this work. And as a adult human knowing how hard it is to really understand my body's cues and recognize them and notice them in time to even make a conscious decision. It just really strikes me and hearing you describe this of the expectations that we have 
surrounding what kids should be able to do. And we really expect them to learn these emotional regulation skills really quickly because we're so focused on behavior and classroom management and all of those things. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and how actually, as we take kids into that, we can, we can make, I think, experience one dimensional a little bit instead of having duality, right? So if we think about those zones of regulation, it's like, in a lot of respects that someone has to choose, like I'm in one of these only as a, right? Whereas like, I could be having seemingly red zone experience in something, but I could also be grounded in, in a, a different zone simultaneously somewhere else, right? And, and, and am I led to notice the duality, right? So sometimes when I'm trying to help students maybe notice those sensations of discomfort or some of those sensations, I'm also maybe simultaneously then trying to bring someone to notice maybe there's a place of comfort too, right? Like, like it's not all just that. Like I'm not all red zone maybe, right? Like, and, and, and so, so that maybe doesn't totally represent this complex dual experience for me. And that's why I'm really confused too, is because like, you know, I simultaneously don't want to and do want to. Hmm. So I'm maybe simultaneously like really worried and kind of excited, you know, and like, what, where does that put me, you know, and, and how do I sort of tune into both and then decide what I'm going to do with either of those experiences, essentially, or maybe they're super related. Maybe I start to get to know that, that, sort of stomach gurgling a little bit that I thought was all fear and worry. But now I start to come, ooh, but that version of it is like excitement, right? That, that version is actually like, um, I'm getting giddy. And so that would be good for me to know perhaps, right? The, the difference between those things. So I'm not just maybe reacting from one of those places. So then what I'm hearing is that this is a way to process trauma, whether that's even big T or little t trauma, but this is a way to process that, to learn how to discharge, to learn how to better connect with your experience, with one's experience in their body and identify what's happening. What does this look like down the road? So it's also, I imagine about being able to navigate the world in a way where you're just kind of, there's real communication happening internally. What does it look like? I think what it looks like is is giving ourselves more opportunity to sort of pause and have understanding and then and then and then make a decision f- that that feels like it's coming from a place of like being empowered, not just a place of reaction, right? So I I've, I've probably had many of these experiences, you know, recently, but, but I'm, I'm thinking back to last week of my boys being upstairs, you know, playing whatever they're playing up in, up in the room. And I, and I hear some conflict happening, right. And I hear some, and, um, and, and some patterned conflict, like things we've, we've been there before. We've talked about listening to each other's nose before, right. All of those things. And, and I just feel this like flood in my body, right? To like take action and to go like intervene. And, and I almost do, right? I almost like, I almost like catch myself as I'm like running up the stairs and, and, and I go, wait, let me like, what's happening here for me. Right. And I'm able to like tune in to like, whoa, like my, that just like got my chest race, like heart racing a little bit. I just like felt this surge of energy. Like that's my cue 
not to necessarily go up and intervene and do something like it could be like they could need that support but that might just be my cue that like i got really frustrated that that's still a conflict that's happening or i got really worried that they're not going to figure this out or or i got yeah like scared someone was hurt even though they weren't right or whatever that is and and so so instead of rushing up in like having some intervention, you know, and saying something or whatever I was going to say, like, well, it's not that I just went and sat back down on the couch because I wanted to like still check in with people, but it totally changed everything when I was realizing like, wait, so much more of what's igniting this energy for me is just like this discomfort I'm, I'm experiencing right now. And I'm going to try to go like exert some power control so that I can feel better. Like instead that looked like me more quietly going up the stairs, looking for something in the closet like not a, just to make sure people were safe, not not directing my attention to them at all. And we'll talk about that thing later when people are regulated or people, because in that moment, if I would have just gone in, they probably would have deer in headlights, like immediately been afraid, right? Like what's, and, and therefore now on that spectrum of receptivity and defensiveness, they're way on the end of defensiveness and we're not going to get anywhere. So instead right? We're able to just have that conversation a little later of like, Hey, I noticed this thing earlier. Was ever, what was your, what were you thinking about? Right. And we could, and then we could actually maybe do something with it. But, but what it looked like in the moment was noticing me using the information that I, I know that tells me about myself, my experience, my needs, and then taking an action that actually aligns a lot with more with my core values and my sort of like clear perspective after the fact, what I would have been like, Oh, I'm, that's how I would have wanted to do it. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a superpower, really. I mean, the question, you know, now we're shifting to the adult experience, the parent caregiver experience here, but that's a question that comes up all the time. How do I do what you did? How do I stop before I. Yeah. And we can just, you know, so we can extrapolate that to our, our children. Right. And so it's like, it might, it's not going to be around the same topics, but it's that moment of like, Ooh, did I, did I have that moment of of like pausing, taking stock a little bit and and sort of just getting a little bit more clarity on what's really going on, right? That like, this is what's really happening right now. Not necessarily just all the stories I would tell myself or all the sort of perceptions I'm making or, or intentions I'm giving to someone else or, you know, whatever that is. Like I can get a little more clear on this is what's real right now. Okay, that's great. And so for... People who are listening to this who want to explore somatic experiencing, somatic therapy as a modality for their kids. You know, you mentioned Waking the Tiger. Do you have any other favorite resources that they should check out? And I can include these in the show notes page. Yeah, there's a book called Befriending Your Nervous System by by Deb Dana. And Deb Dana, so, so much. She's really taken polyvagal theory into sort of practice of you know, she's an LCSW like therapy practice and sort of that whole world so so she's making polyvagal theory really applicable to you so i i think i think that's a great resource and and uh Kimberly M. Ann Johnson any of any of her works her her main book is escaping me right call of the wild call of the wild by Kimberly Ann Johnson so many more but that'll get everybody started <laughs> That's great. No, I'll I'll definitely include those listeners you can um check those out. I'm going to be putting them on my Amazon. Oh, and actually one last one, because even totally a part of this whole mix is uh, The Body Keeps the Score. 
by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. Huge part of it. Awesome. Well, is there anything, I mean, I, I have more questions, but you know, we've talked around so many things and I feel like this is a really good introduction to, to this topic and to just this idea of the power, you know, of, of helping our kids really tune into their bodies and what that might look like. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you think is really important that my listeners know about? I think the the connection that this has to neurofeedback. So I think that that for for the people that are were really struggling to help them like start in on some of this process, like start in on a noticing process, really start maybe being guided in any way because it's maybe just all too much, right? I, I work with with some of these families where it's just like we just can't seem to maybe offer much without it getting dysregulating and activated, right? Is that neurofeedback is 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 sort of being seen to maybe help people kind of get over that initial hump of just the sort of like stress release a little bit so that then maybe we can actually access some more of this work. And so, so if, if you or your, you know, people in your family are noticing you're, you're really at that just super beginning stuck point, I would maybe encourage people to also look into some neurofeedback stuff. Okay. That's really helpful. And that's another topic that I need to bring onto the show. There's so much to talk about, so much to learn about, but this has been fascinating. Before we go, just let people know where they can connect with you. Yeah, you can find me on my website, aliveatlearn.com. That's all spelled out, three words, aliveatlearn.com. I'm not, uh, I'm not, frequent in the social media world much. So you, so you won't find me on there really. But you, there's contact form on my website, you can reach out. And they also might find me on the PDA North America website. And and there's a lot of things sometimes happening with PDA North America. I'm running some workshops over there, some different things. And so people might also see what's happening over in that realm. Oh, that's great to know. Yeah, there's a uh, we've done a couple episodes on PDA. And I know that we have a lot of listeners who are getting very involved and excited that there's more resources here in the US specifically for PDA. So that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for hanging out with us this afternoon. And just great to connect again. Thank you, Debbie. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for for all the work you're bringing to the world as well and, and showcasing all these resources. So thanks so much. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. 
Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.